Hey friends, Hannah here with the Practically Well podcast, where I will be bringing you amazing holistic guests to educate, inspire, and empower you to live your healthiest, fullest life in a practical way. As an acupuncturist and coach, I believe that the mind and body are deeply connected and that when we can tap into these natural reservoirs within ourselves and heal, anything is possible. So it is my goal to bring you a variety of transformative topics and practices to the table in a simple, digestible way so that you can break down old barriers, seek out new holistic methods, and uplevel your mindset and life so that you can get wherever you want to go. It is all in your hands and I'm here to be your guide. So let's get started. Hey friends, and welcome to another beautiful day on the Practically Well podcast. So today's wellness chat is with Sal Scatino. He is a licensed therapist and uses modalities such as cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR to support his patients with a wide variety of concerns, uh, particularly things like depression, anxiety, trauma, and PTSD. So today we're going to be diving into Sal's specialty and learning about his therapeutic methods, why they're so beneficial, and how we can use these tools to deepen our healing and create whatever life we want. So welcome, Sal, to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Of course, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Um, So to kick things off, I'd first love to hear a little bit about your journey to where you are now and what led you to this career path and just kind of what got you here. Of course, of course. So I've always been interested in in the the concept of being with people during difficult emotional times. Uh, Ever since I was a little kid, I always liked to be a mediator and play that role with, with friends and be that listening ear. So I knew that it was natural for me. I knew that I liked that space. And then when I was in high school and college, um, I I realized that my sister, she was struggling with addiction and she was Mm -hmm. also struggling with mental health. And at the time it was foreign to me. I I couldn't make sense of it. And to be honest, I had to divorce her as my sister because it was too much. I I, I couldn't handle being a loved one of someone that was going through such difficulty because it was a lot on my plate as well. And it was hard to make sense of it all. But once I saw her turn that new leaf and make a complete 180 in her attitudes, her behavior, and then be the person she is today, who is an incredible mother of three, she owns her own business, has this big, beautiful house, incredible husband, that showed me that human change was possible. Mm-hmm. So it was even more faith in the field of psychology and therapy and counseling and treatment. And then... Now that I knew I wanted to be a therapist, I wasn't quite sure which type of modality or specialty that I wanted to to work with or what type of population that I thought I'd be most comfortable um, you know, helping and working alongside. But then six years ago, I had an incident myself that put me on the, the, the other side of the equation in the therapy room, which means in the, 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 the patient seat. And that led me to having PTSD, and I had some some pretty debilitating symptoms, um, with you know, um, comprising of panic attacks, nightmares, flashbacks. I had some some wicked, some wicked in the moment, high levels of distress and hyper arousal, you know, to things that was triggering 
from my event, from my incident. And uh, so from there, I, 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 um, I, well, a therapist reached out to me, saw my story on the news and said, hey, can I treat you pro bono? And I said, absolutely. Right? Life was pretty tough at that point. My, my brain was trying to protect itself. So I had this trauma self that was this dark, luminous part of me that I didn't know how to sit with, I didn't know how to interact with. And then I had the, the normal self, which was the self that was trying to keep its head above water and say everything's okay when it really wasn't. So this therapist reached out and said, you know, let me treat you. And she specialized in EMDR. And now I only knew a little bit, maybe I would say 10 minutes worth of information <laughs> on EMDR that I learned briefly in my undergrad. But of course I was open and willing just because I, I, I couldn't live in this space any longer. It was just stripping the quality of my life. And within three sessions, all of my symptomology that was comprised under the umbrella of PTSD was completely gone. Wow. So I got my quality of life back. And then once, once I realized that this, that was what's happening and it was changing the trajectory of, of my belief system for myself, my environment, allowing me to trust people yet again, I knew that I had to do this. This was my calling and I just had to figure out how to get on that path. And that led me to where I am today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, that resonates with me so much because I feel like so many of us in the healing professions, we, we were the patient first, or we had an experience that with whatever modality it is, and it changed our lives. And so then it's, it's like, we have to do this for other people. It felt like it was so beneficial for us. We just want to continue sharing that with the world. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. And um, I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about what EMDR is, because I know I know about 10 minutes worth of information about it. And I know a lot of the listeners, you know, some may know, some may not know anything. So if you could speak to what it is and how it's beneficial and, you know, how that kind of works in the treatment room, I, I would love to hear. Of course, of course, absolutely. This is my favorite topic. So I appreciate <laughs> Good. that. Uh, in you know, trying to condense EMDR into a nutshell, I would say EMDR, it's, it was created in 1989 by Francine Shapiro, and it was an accident how she stumbled upon the, the benefits of what is, what is happening in, the EMD, in an EMDR session, which is creating a bilateral stimulation of the brain. And she realized this through eye movements, right? She was taking a walk down a path one day, and she felt a little bit of distress in her body and her mind. And she noticed that as she was walking, the distress started to, to lessen and lessen more and more. And then by the end of her walk, she felt completely stress-free. And she was trying to figure out what happened to lead to this. And she came to the understanding that while she was walking, she was looking left and looking right, looking left and looking right. And this created a bilateral stimulation in the brain, meaning you're using more parts of your brain while you're thinking about this distressing event or situation. And so it's, it's basically you have more people or more facilities um, allowing you to speed up the processing in the brain. But when you're speeding up the processing, what's happening is you're activating the adaptive information processing component in the brain. And this was a term that she stipulated. And what this means is that our brains will normally bounce back and work through and process troubling experiences, right? Up to 70% of troubling experiences. But there's still that 20% where the brain will perceive it as high distress, PTSD, acute stress, 
you know, that different, that other side of the coin. So when that's happening, and that's happening, the brain does not store it as adaptive information. It, 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 it basically fractures it in the brain and it, it creates all these little pieces, these broken pieces of that memory because the brain, the brain was in too high, too high of a stress response to organize it all and put it into a nice little place, like a file cabinet in our brain where we can pull it out when we want and then put it back when we want. So with the, the high levels of distress, we can't pull it out when we want, we can't put it back when we want. It basically rules us in a lot of ways and it turns into this, there's symptoms of, of trauma or high levels of anxiety with panic attacks, nightmares, flashbacks, all that fun stuff. <laughs> so EMDR in the moment will bring up that traumatic experience or that troubling time in one's life and it, it reorganizes the memory so they can properly store it. It desensitizes the brain to the memory so they can get used to it and it doesn't fear it anymore, but you can sit with it and it activates a relaxation response in your body. So it's, it's exciting your, your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest digest system. So as you, I'm sure, are wildly, you know, hugely familiar with. Oh, so yeah. it's calming <laughs> down the body when it's thinking about this memory. So it's reassociating the body's response and relationship with that memory. And then once all that is done, once the body feels comfortable in thinking about it and talking about it and visualizing that memory, next we throw in a, an installment of self-efficacy, meaning a new belief about yourself so that you can continue to move and grow and build resiliency for yourself moving forward in life. Like for my incident, the, the product of belief for myself was I was weak, I was not capable and competent of enduring next step life stages and experiences because I was feeling so less than and insignificant. I was like, mm -hmm. my confidence is low. My, my, my ability to regulate was low. So I just felt fear of myself and fear of goals and, 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 you know, movement of life. So what it does is we, it goes in there. Well, the use of your, your therapist and yourself being comfortable in that environment, you go in there and you paired with a new belief and mine became, I can be greater than I could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. So that allowed me to, to not see this event as a barrier or a, a, a moment of, of where I'm going to stay stuck for the rest of my life, but something that I can grow from and something that I can assimilate into my, my sense of self mm -hmm. so that I can formulate this new growth oriented, resilient self. Hmm. I love that. And, and so when that, that progression makes very logical sense to me. And so I'm curious the, the part before you start establishing a new belief about yourself and, and moving that forward, like when you're initially doing the processing of that event and, and kind of unpacking that, what are, what are you doing with a client? Like, is there, are there particular exercises you do or things like homework that they have to do outside? Like, how does that process work? That's a fantastic question. So the way the way the, way the brain holds traumatic experiences is through the sensory, you know, sensory system. So, you know, whether it's smell, taste, touch, feel. So it's got the senses and then the images. So what's the picture that the brain is holding in the mind about the event? And then of course, where, the, where are you feeling in the body? Where's the body storing the trauma? And then we look at the belief that has been created 
the, the, the negative belief that has basically surfaced itself that has created this maladaptive <clears throat> maladaptive understanding of the situation that's creating a lot of the, the traumatic symptoms. And once you have all of that, you hold it in your mind's eye. And that's where you start with the processing. And you want to get the client as activated and distracted as possible. You want to excite them, get them worked up. I mean, to a level that's within their zone of, of tolerance. Because if they're too activated, of course, it, it's, it could cause a setback more than a, a step forward. Mm-hmm. But once you have all that information, that's where you do the work. So it's, it's a bit of a weird paradox that in, in order for, it, it stems off of the working memory taxation theory, which basically says that if you tax the working memory, the, 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 the way the memory sits with the conscious mind, mm-hmm. while retrieving these old, old experiences and memories that represent trauma, then it will speed up the processing, meaning it will speed up the brain's ability to reorganize it and move forward from it and no longer have it as debilitating. And then in terms of homework, it's not a normal and normal therapeutic kind of pairing with, with EMDR because you're doing so much of the work in session yeah. that you kind of want to give them the break after mm-hmm. the fact. Mm-hmm. But what I'll do with some clients is that, especially after the first session, you, you, you're, the brain and the body is going to be very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then there's still a lot of room for processing. The brain will continue processing after they're after the session. So that, that could be a good time to, to organize those thoughts with journaling or mm-hmm. working on some grounding techniques, just focusing on how to be in the here and now. And we do that through series of tapping. Mm. So through alternate tapping, that's going to help calm down the body. And then through writing it out, that'll help continue to organize your thoughts. So you stay on that track of processing for the brain. Yeah, makes total sense. Um, and I like that you come at it from the position of, you know, we did so much work here today, give yourself time to rest. Cause I know I've had clients before that are like, okay, well, what should I do next? And I say, give your body time to integrate what just happened, you know, cause some, sometimes that's exact. And oftentimes that's exactly what you need, especially if, you know, you're making major shifts in the nervous system, in the body, in the mind. Um, so how do you know, like when you're working with someone, some, something struck me, you're like, you don't want them to be too activated, but you want them to be kind of in this sweet spot. How do you know when that is? What, what does that look like? So if they begin to dissociate, right, mm-hmm. if, if they're pulling away from reality, if, if they can't feel their body, then that means we need to take a pause and we're going to enter them into a safe space. And in the beginning of EMDR therapy, you want to create that safe space in the brain with the client through the eye movements. So you find a place that is comfortable, that represents tranquility, that represents a place where they don't feel in danger or trapped or anything, you know, a place where they feel most comfortable. Their, their sanctuary in the brain. And then you use a cue word to activate that and you integrate it with the eye movements embedded in there, just like you would with the, that new self-belief that you integrate at the end, that installment phase of, of therapy. <clears throat> but with that being said, you still want them to get quite activated. You still mm-hmm. want to excite the nervous system. Because like I said before, we've come to understand through, through evidence-based um, results with, with EMDR. Because EMDR, they, they really pressured 
the, the psychologists and the, the testers in EMDR to, to make sure that it was a valid therapeutic modality. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, they saw it as this, like, this magical, you know, like fairy dust type <laughs> therapy that yeah. was, you know, that had no merit. Mm-hmm. So that we were forced to do a lot of research and make sure that this, you know, this would, would hold up on a consistent sure. basis with multiple people and backgrounds. And once we found out that it did, then, then we were able to, to basically say that what works best is when the client is most distressed, mm-hmm. right? But most distressed, it looks like that there's, they still have they're, they still have an understanding that they're in the room with you, right? That um, um, that it's still within the, the bounds of we're trying to help you progress and move forward, right? Mm-hmm. If they lose touch of that, if they become so dissociated and detached that none of that is happening in the moment and the mm-hmm. brain has basically is, is going into protection mode because that's what's happening when you're dissociating and yeah. trying to, you know, take care of yourself and keep you from, from hurt or struggle. Then that's where we need to just reel you back in, do safe place or a, we call it container exercise. And, uh, and then just kind of hold off for that moment. And then if the client is ready, go back into it that session, if not wait till another session. Yeah, no. And that, that makes perfect sense. And It's funny because there's something in acupuncture called law of cure. So when um, it's a, it's a healing response reaction. So when you're treating someone for really anything, sometimes, especially if it's something very deep that needs to come out and be processed for 24 to 72 hours after treatment, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does where you'll start to feel very intense sensations, like something is coming back. So let's say you, you know, had chronic migraines, you might have a really intense headache for a day or so. And it's, it's because it's clearing and it's like, so it's coming up and out and it feels intense and activated. And then after, you know, 24 hours or so it clears, but there is that sensation of I'm okay. I'm here. Like something is clearing, something is happening, but I'm not going to a whole other place. So I'm, it just, I'm kind of seeing parallels. They're like, they know they're safe. They know they're okay, but they know that something intense is happening and something is moving itself energetically from the body. Um, so that's, that's cool. Just always to see parallels between modalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is your, what is your favorite thing about working with clients with, within this modality of, of therapy? I love that question so much. My favorite part of it is, is normalizing my client to their fears, to their traumas, to parts of themselves that they have built this belief that it's not okay to have, to have that existing within their brain or within their, their thought process or within their body giving them the okay and the permission to say, this is something that happens when you experience these type of things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you're incapable of moving forward, that you can't have healthy, loving relationships. It just means that's the place where we want to do our work. Mm-hmm. And with, with the work that we're going to do, we're going to do everything in our power to help you develop a new sense of of being in self in that moment, right? 
you know, something that I, I struggled with with my trauma, and I know this can be tough with a lot of clients dealing with theirs, is they think that we sh- everyone has this belief, a lot of people have a belief that we're going to go back and be that old self. Mm. Right? And I, that's something that I was chasing, especially in the beginning of my physical recovery, is how can I just be that Sal before who was happy-go-lucky, really enjoyed life? And what I come to understand, and my therapist was great at explaining this to me, is that we can never be that old self, but that's not a bad thing. We just need to take that old self, integrate it with the trauma self, right? Having that union of, of both selves so that we can create a new, adaptive, resilient self, mm. right? And once I, once I was able to kind of conform to that and not trying to block my, my directional path uh, in that way, that's when I was starting to, that's, that's when I realized it's okay. Everything's okay when I'm experiencing. And this is very much a product of how the brain responds in those moments. I mean, once you see it on the, the biological platform, it just, it it creates a a deeper understanding about it. Right. And and whenever we we create a a more in-depth understanding or comprehension of something, we fear it less. Mm-hmm. So when I can when I can sit with my clients and and come to that that understanding that resolution for them that you know this is part of what's happening but this isn't your this isn't your story this is just a page or a few pages in the chapter of your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, and I love that because I feel like I've I've had conversations with people just over the course of life where people are afraid to go to therapy because they think it's going to make them seem weak or like something's wrong with them. And, and I'd love it if you could, I know this is kind of like a branch off of what you were just saying, but I'd love it if you could kind of speak to that mindset and how you approach that with clients, because I mean, I know I've been to therapy and I talk about this with my acupuncture clients too. Like you're, you're seeking out support to, better yourself or, you know, heal from something or whatever. And like that, it should be something that's celebrated and and that is a good thing that you're doing for yourself. And so I'd love it if you could kind of speak to that on, from your position. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, oddly enough, I have a friend right now that I know would, would improve dramatically in his life and the way he sees himself and the way he experiences different situations and interactions if he had therapy. Mm. But it's very hard for him because his belief construct says, if you go to someone else to for help, that means, like you said, you're weak, that you do not have the capability, you don't have the facility and the utility as an individual to grow and to better your situation. So it's basically, he believes that he should already have the tools. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the analogy that I use is that if you have, if you've got a broken engine and you've never had formal training as a mechanic, you're not going to know how to fix the engine. You, yep. don't know, you don't know what tools you need. You don't know what strategies you need to, to engage in, what skills are appropriate to fix the engine. So therefore, if you avoid the sounds that the engine is making, right, the, the amount of times you conk out, or what have you, then what happens is the car gets worse. 
right? The, the problem will continue to persist. And before you know it, the car, car is going to be dead and you've got no car and you're left up, excuse my language, shit's creep, creek without a paddle. Mm-hmm. So a way that I condense therapy in just two words for people that have that belief construct that this is weakness and this is you becoming vulnerable, vulnerable, and it's going, it's going to hurt you more than help you. And it means that you, you're not able or capable to, to better your life, you know, by yourself is therapy is all about support and education. Mm-hmm. We're not taught in school in any sort of formal education or, I mean, if, if the parent is educated enough from parents, a lot of times how to deal with emotional stress. Mm-hmm. So in those moments, it's just a, a, a teaching factor, you know, so for some clients, they only need to be in therapy for a handful of sessions just to educate them on what an emotion is, how the body responds to emotions and realizing that it's, it's not always reality. It's just the way in which your body responds to your environment and then your brain will make sense of that. It translates that information and says, okay, now what do I do with it? And if we teach ourselves that we can change and, and interpret and manifest a, a, a meaning of these environments, which can be beneficial and not hindering, then that gives you the power. Yeah. That's the point. We want to give you back the power, right? So if you feel helpless and hopeless, <clears throat> we're not here to say that you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You're not good at life. We're just here to say, hey, the operating system you're working off of now is it's malfunctioning. It's just not working for you. And we need to shift the perspective and the lens in which you're choosing to see the world because this one isn't, it's not creating value. It's not creating betterment in your life. Yeah. And it's sad that, you know, the, the consensus, well, I think this was, I think this is an archaic consensus belief that it's a weakness if you go to therapy. Because, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, a family member, and I'm, I know that they're talking to me who's a therapist, but they said, I believe everyone should go to therapy. And I firmly believe that not because of my biased position. I know I am going to be biased here, so I can't, I can't <laughs> argue that or con- contradict that. But it's because just like you learn math, just like you learn geometry, just like you learn about cultures, we must learn about psychology because you're always walking around with your psychology, right? your mm-hmm. perceptions, beliefs, your interpretations, your behaviors. And if one of those things are not working in suit of what you're trying to achieve in life, your goals, your aspirations, quality of relationships, mm-hmm. and that's taking away something that could add so much beauty and nuance to your life that you just simply don't know the skill. You just don't know the mm-hmm. technique to do it. And that's, that's what we're here for, just to, just to help you along the way. It's not to tell you that you're an idiot, you're not doing it right. It's just to give you the tools in your toolbox so you know how to navigate those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's almost like like I talk about this all the time, like preventative health. And you know, oh, you're getting good sleep, it's fine. But what if you could be getting amazing sleep? You know, you're you're walking through life and you're like, everything's okay, I guess. But what if it could be fantastic. Like what if you could wake up every day, not just like, Oh, all right, it's Tuesday, but Oh my God, it's Tuesday. And here's what I'm grateful for. And here, you know, all the things and and having that sort of energy when you wake up every morning or just as you're operating in life. And, and so I'm in complete agreement with that. You know, I think that 
there's, there's always more to learn and there's always more to hone and there's always more growth to, to be had. You know, we're not supposed to stay stagnant as human beings. We're supposed to evolve and change. And, and just like you said, we are walking around with our psychology every day as we're growing and learning and having experiences. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement with that. Um, so how, how does someone, how, like from a practical standpoint, how can someone know when is a good time to start going to therapy or is there, is there a right time? I think it's, it's looking at your life from a truthful stance, seeing it for as it is and looking at the facts. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're starting to, to not enjoy your work and you'd once been passionate and you wake up with this drive and this ambition of wanting to be there and wanting to be the first person there and you no longer have that, then that could be something that's awry in our psychology. Right? That could be something awry in our perspective. Or it could be our body is holding on to some sort of emotional state that doesn't yet have the understanding of what to do with the emotion but it's just, it's holding on to it maybe for protection's sake, maybe for a lack of, of, of knowledge of what to do. But looking at, looking at your, your behavioral patterns and seeing, and seeing how it's affecting your quality of life mm-hmm. is kind of how I, I, I paint this picture with clients. And if you're noticing these, these drastic, um, stark differences in how you used to see the world to now, and your mm-hmm. relationships are being affected by your mood, your temper. Like I got one client who, you know, for a while, he's uh, he'll come home and he'll he'll just be so exhausted, he'll be so tired and and so distressed from all of the pressure that he gets at work that he's incapable of enjoying his time with his wife and his kids, mm. and it, it eats at him. So it's creating this guilt that why are you not enjoying these things that you're supposed mm. to be enjoying? Yeah. Well, he doesn't yet have the info. We just started. We just started our relationship in the therapeutic room, so he doesn't have the understanding just yet that it has nothing to do with him specifically. This isn't. A, this isn't him choosing to be, you know, a distant father or a unloving husband. It's mm-hmm. he's just going through a lot right now, and he's got to organize all of these feelings and these perceptions and these emotional outputs that he's going through, you know? And it's, it's the sad part about all that is his brain comes from the point, and this is what most, most brains will do, do one of two things, either displace blame on other people saying, you know, I feel upset and angry because this person did that, or this situation happened, it was out of my control and now I'm the victim, or it's, I need to feel massively guilty and shame because of these, mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. Right? So if that's happening, right, how do we reframe that to create a better understanding of what we can do next? I think we, we get so hyper-focused on the mistake, the setback, or the behavior that we feel stuck in doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, addictions is, is such a wonderful example of that that we forget the utility of ourselves as an individual, that intrinsic value that we all have. Mm-hmm. And once you tap back into that intrinsic value and you mm-hmm. give yourself some, some empathetic, empathetic space and 
and kind of guidance or, 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 or support and you give yourself some love and you give yourself some encouragement of what you are still doing well, then that's when you can start seeing your life for as it is and not so worse than. Mm-hmm. And then that gives us that power and control back. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like part of that, like something, I don't know if you do this with clients, but I know I do often when somebody is in a bit of a tailspin or they're, you know, going one direction or another, I'll, I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's take a few deep breaths. What are the facts in this situation? Like what is real? Not what are my, what are my thoughts or feelings about it? But like in this moment, what is absolute undeniable truth? And I feel like you know, in your friend's example, you know, I, you know, he could list out the facts. I have a wife and children who love me, you know, work causes X, Y, Z, you know, but thinking about it from a very logical perspective versus, oh, they did this or that, or, you know, I'm the victim or all these other stories that we create in our brains, but bringing us back to what's actually happening and usually I, I find, and I don't know if you find this as well, when people focus on what's actual facts versus story and emotion and all the things that get wrapped up in that, it helps them to see and feel differently about the situation because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not a bad father. I'm not a bad husband. You know, I, nothing's wrong with me. It's just this, you know, I work very long hours and, you know, I have, my boss has a lot of expectation and, you know, it caused all these feelings, but it doesn't mean all these other stories that I've created for myself. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think you alluded to this and this is something I definitely want the viewers to hear is that when we are not able to regulate our emotions, we become a prisoner to our emotions, right? And it keeps us from using that logic brain and saying, what are the facts? What's actually yeah. happening here? Yeah. Right? It's so convoluted and we feel as if we're helpless and hopeless in this pursuit of change because the emotions can feel so permanent and so life-threatening. When in actuality, if you look at emotion and feeling, by definition, they are temporary things. They're just, mm-hmm. they're, they're just trying to teach us about our environment and, and guide us into what decision is going to make sense moving forward. But if we take it personally, mm-hmm. that's where we can fa- find a lot of fault. And it keeps us, you know, from doing what you said, seeing it for as it is the facts, what's actually happening here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, it's the, this show is called practically well. So I always like to have practical elements in here for, for the listeners. So when it comes to emotional regulation, you know, are there anything like it, let's say somebody is listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I definitely want to start going to therapy. This sounds great. And and I do have challenge regulating my emotions, like what outside of going to see a therapist or even in tangent with that, what do you recommend right off the bat for people from, from a practical standpoint in terms of practices they can start doing now to start to, to practice regulating their emotions? I think it starts first with getting in touch with your body. Mm-hmm. Everything in terms of emotional output starts with your physiological responses to what's happening in your environment. So in those moments, if you become a better student of what's happening in your body, like, okay, my heart rate is, is what becomes erratic or my hands start to sweat 
or my face starts to scowl. I feel this heaviness in my shoulders or my chest or that, you know, kind of that caving in of your chest. But being a student on what's happening to your body in those moments and figuring out ways to loosen that up, whether it's stretching, whether it's deep breathing, whether it's just being mindful, noticing things in your environment, like the five, four, three, two, one, mm -hmm. what are five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste, that grounds the body. And then once you get to that point, once you feel a little bit more calm, more regulated, and you've down-regulated your amygdala, which is your fear center, your emotion center, then you can start seeing it through that logic mindset and lens and then you can say okay what can i do about it now now how can i maybe do something different moving forward how can i say this differently you know what what mm -hmm. actual tangible behaviors can i put in the midst but if you try to do that while you're in that high emotion state you're going to say and do things that are being that are response to your survival part of the brain right that reptilian you know, limbic system that's saying you just need to react mm -hmm. as, as opposed to stop, think, and be proactive. Mm -hmm. So definitely learning how, learning where in your body you store your stress and your anxiety, figuring out different ways to, to calm it down and relax yourself, and then looking at the situation and asking questions like, what are the facts? What are the emotions that I'm feeling? If you that uh, if you begin to label your emotions, you get to tame your emotions. So if you can name it, you'll be able to tame it, meaning you create that detachment and that objective view from what you're feeling, saying it's not who I am, but something I'm experiencing. That is a wildly monumental and instrumental belief that we need to assimilate when we're trying to adapt to, um, to regulating our emotions, right? seeing it for, for not a part of us and personal, but just something we're going through and experiencing the moment. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you that question because I was curious what your thoughts are on that. And I tell my clients the exact same thing. So I, I love that, you know, because it does, it does all begin in the body and, you know, so often we're living from the neck up and we get so stuck up here and, you know, some I'll, I'll tell people even just like before bedtime, if you're feeling a little you know, anxious and are having trouble falling asleep, placing a hand on your chest, a hand on your belly and really breathing in and, and bringing your attention to those areas because it's giving your brain something else to focus on. And it's bringing you back into your body, bringing your awareness down below your shoulders. And I mean, it's amazing how, how quickly things can change when you drop back in, take a moment and, and reconnect with your body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have like a question that's a little bit different from what we've been talking about, but it's also LinkedIn, obviously. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on medication when it comes to anxiety, depression, PTSD, any of it? Um, what are your thoughts on it? So whenever I get that question from a parent or a client, parent would be of the client that I'm treating. I, I always start with, with the perspective of let's do some actual therapy here. Let's see if we can do some behavior activation and 
modulation to change the way in which they're interacting with their world, right? Giving them coping skills, different ways to, to control their perspectives and the way they interpret situations. And if we do that for, for at least two to three months, sometimes a little bit more, depending on the severity of the client's symptoms, then we, then we can start talking about the possibility of medication, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a pharma, pharmacologist. I, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I can't speak on, on it being the right, the right thing or the wrong thing to do. But I do always want to instill the belief of, hey, let's at least try to see what we can do first. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, if, if you look at, if you look at the individual on the bio, psycho, social um, model, you look at, right, their biology, which is their the brain chemistry, it's what are their preconditions, pre, um, you know, uh, preordained conditions or, or you, know, uh, you know, whether it's medical conditions or psychiatric illness in their background and, and their family history. Looking at that, looking at their psychology, right? Their thoughts, their perceptions, their beliefs of the world, your core belief system. What is it telling you about what's happening outside of you, right? How we interpret things is, is really going to create our view on the world and how we see yourself. And then next is our sociology, right? The environments that we place ourselves in, the people that we surround ourselves with. Sometimes, you know, the majority of times from what I see is we just need to change one of those aspects, our perceptions, our beliefs, teaching them how to do that, changing some environments that we expose ourselves to, right? whether that's your job, your career, school, and then looking at the type of people that you surround yourself with. Are you around soul suckers every day? People that are just draining you of your energy, right? Taking things away from you and not giving anything back in return. And, you know, once you look at all that, the environments, the people we surround ourselves with, the way you see the world, and if we 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 do some changing in all those those different factions and structures of life, and you're still feeling that that down, despairing, emotional response on a consistent basis, right? Mm -hmm. it, it would pretty much fall under the uh, the diagnosis of major depressive disorder (MDD), or maybe like a generalized anxiety disorder where the, the, the anxiety is not targeted something, it's more just, you know, across a big spectrum of seeing multiple things that activate it, then that's where medication can really help. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think I love that perspective because I feel like sometimes just in, in that instant gratification culture that we have, like, oh, you have a headache, take a pill. Oh, you're sad, take a pill. And, and I think that's how you know, our society has been conditioned a lot of the time. So it's, it's not like it's anyone's fault. It's just what has always been done for a very long time. And, and sometimes that is the solution that you like, there is something brain chemistry wise that needs to be shifted in order to help you feel better. And so often it is one of those many things that you just named, and it can be solved without the use of adding something else into your body other than changing your mindset and, and changing physiological things. Absolutely. I think I, 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 you, you mentioned it and I just want to piggyback on it. Yeah. That, you know, this quick fix, immediate gratification that we've established in our society and our, our community 
it's it's making us believe that we don't have the capability, we don't have the utility to change these things. So it can create this kind of helpless mindset. And it, it also leads us to believe that if we don't have that, we can't be better. And it's really just a temporary thing. So medication is the whole premise and the point of it is to stabilize you so that you're receptive to therapy. Mm-hmm. It's the Band-Aid. Now, it, yeah. it definitely has its utility and it. it can be wildly beneficial to those who are experiencing a genuine chemical imbalance. Yeah. But it's not the permanent solution. If you take medication, what happens is your body's going to build a tolerance to it and your mood's going to be regulated and stabilized. Great. But you're still going to be the same person. You're still going to walk around the same beliefs, the same constructs of the world, schemas, right? Schema is just like our shortcut on how we, how we make sense of, of the world and the situations around us. And if that is what's faulty, medication is not going to just change that. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, 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 the working and the relationship and the in tandem use of medication and therapy is going to be your your, your path towards success for those who had that genuine chemical imbalance. But I would say never do, never do just medication without the therapy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You gotta like medication will treat the branch oftentimes and, and solve that part, but not always get to the root, which is what therapy does. I think. I love that perspective. Yeah. Awesome. Heck yeah. 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 I still that. Absolutely. Yeah. That it was a, that's an acupuncture school thing, but take it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you had one nugget of wisdom that you would want the listeners to walk away from this conversation with, what would it be? Big question. I know. (laughs) I've been getting that question a lot. (sighs) To be gentle with yourself. Don't judge yourself too harshly. Be fair. Be non-apologetic for who you are. Mm. You can change your behaviors, but you at the core, you're good. You have value, that intrinsic value that we were talking about before. Stick with your values and morals. What you believe in is, is very important and it's meaningful. You know, and, and lastly, be truthful with yourself. When you're able to approach you as an individual and the world around you in a very authentic and genuine and honest lens, that's where we are able to develop the control and the power within ourselves and our interpretation. So that like you said, if you're having a bad day, if your mood is a little off, that doesn't mean you have to have a bad week. It doesn't mean you have to have a bad month. It yep, just yep. means we need to reevaluate some things or just see ourselves on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Say maybe I'm just having a little bit of an off day, but I know that when I talk to Hannah, I feel better. Right? When I get acupuncture, I feel better. Mm-hmm. Or when I have set up a ther- therapy appointment, I feel better. When I hang out with X, Y, Z, you know, type of friends, I feel better. Yeah. But you know, knowing those things that create the betterment and that can cause a pivot in our situation, and not, I know, I'm, I'm just expanding, expanding on this. No, you're fine. I want to end with, with this little faction here is that in order to grow, in order to, to create resiliency, we do have to experience discomfort, but discomfort, it doesn't kill us. It's 
simply are stimulus for growth. You think about the lobster, the, in order for the, 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 the prebupescent lobster to become an adult lobster, it has to break out of its shell and then adapt its, its adult shell. But when it breaks out, it's, it's, it can be painful, it can be very vulnerable, but that's the path that it needs to take in order to get to that adult shell. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if you're feeling discomfort. It's okay if you're stressed out one day. What we want to do is make sure that that is not a consistent, persistent thing. Mm-hmm. Just say this is part of our, our you know, our, our stages to growth. Yeah. But knowing, yeah. but knowing ourselves well enough, where we can say now I need the professional help that I, you know that um, I may be looking for, or there are things that I can do myself. Right? Because yeah. I think the more you know yourself, the more honest and truthful you are with with yourself, with the conversations with yourself, that's when you're going to be able to find the path that's going to be, be most suitable for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think to kind of piggyback on that, the goal, in my opinion, in life is not just to be blindly, wildly joyful 24 hours a day. You know, I think sometimes people are like, I just want to be happy and enlightened and have nothing go wrong. And, and they, and and that's just it. And so I think, you know, we are going to have challenging days. We are going to have emotional fluctuations in a healthy way. And exactly what you said, it doesn't have to last a week because when you have the tools in place and you have the support that you need, however much or little of it that it is, you can calm yourself down more quickly and, and make it a, a short incident, not affecting your days, your weeks, your months. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. So in alignment with everything that I teach too. Awesome. Well, where can people connect with you further and find out more about what you do? Maybe start working with you. Yeah. And, you know, to to your listeners, I'm always open to a conversation as well. If you just want to learn more about therapy modality or, or, you know, just having a conversation about, what you're going through, you can reach me at my email at sal at cmhahelps.com. You can find me on my practices website, which is www.cmhahelps.com. I have my own personal website for my speaking, for my speaking side of things and for my therapy. That's www.salstherapycorner.com. And then Instagram, I'm Sal's Therapy Corner. Facebook, I'm Sal Scatino. And, uh, and then last but not least, my office, my office number, show open to anyone, is 410-756-0035. And I'm always open to a, a free 15-minute consultation, phone consultation, just to speak whatever, speak about whatever's on your mind or if you think that therapy is, could be of use for you. Awesome. And do you do um, telehealth or is it only in person? I do telehealth as well. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. So people who are listening on the other side of the country can get in contact with you if they need to. Awesome. And I will include that, all that info in the show notes for you guys. And that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for being here. This has been wonderful. I'm so happy to be here, Hannah. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about the thing that I'm most passionate about in this world. So yeah. I appreciate it. Clearly, clearly. And I know how much good you do for the world. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you've heard, it would be everything if you would subscribe to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. 
It is my goal to spread as much healing energy and education as possible, and every little bit helps. So thanks again for listening, and until next time, namaste.